Welcome to Season 2 of Museum Secrets. I'm your host, Lucy Dawkins, and every week I'll be taking you behind the scenes at the Ashmolean. There are a million objects here in the museum, each with its own hidden story. Come on in as we track down the weird and wonderful among them to give us a bite-sized pick-me-up in these challenging times. One of the great delights to be found in the Ashmolean is in the beauty of tiny things. And today, we're joining Malika Cumbra-Landrus, the Ashmolean's keeper of Eastern art, who's taking a look at a piece of paper which is smaller than the palm of your hand. Over to Malika to tell us more. For as long as artists have existed, they have copied the works of others, reinventing and emulating originals to hone their own skills. You don't have to spend long looking through the Ashmolean's collections before you start noticing these copies. In particular, you might find copies of the Renaissance German artist Albrecht Dürer. Conveniently for him, he was alive at the time that commercial printing presses were coming into their own, meaning that his work could be turned into mass-produced prints. These affordable, portable works fell into the hands of enthusiastic artists far and wide who replicated and reimagined Dürer's images for themselves. Among these countless copies of Dürer's prints, there is one fascinating work at the Ashmolean. It is a scrap of paper just 10 centimeters high showing the figure of St. John the Evangelist copied from Dürer's print of the scene of Christ's crucifixion. His robes are only lightly outlined, but St. John's head and hands are intricately detailed. His head is barely larger than a small thumbprint. But despite its minuscule size, we can read every line of grief on his face as he watches his friend and spiritual leader die in front of him. At first glance, we might assume that this copy of a German print belongs to the Ashmolean's collection of Western art. But no, wait a minute. This is an Indian drawing and is housed here in the Eastern art department. And it's not just any Indian drawing, but one drawn by one of the greatest artists in the Mughal Empire. His name was Abu Hassan, and he was only 13 years old when he made this remarkable little sketch. Abu Hassan's father, Akka Raza, was one of the master craftsmen working under the patronage of the Mughal emperors of India. At its greatest extent, Mughal India included present-day countries of Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and even parts of Afghanistan. The Mughal court was an international powerhouse revolving around the Muslim emperors who were great lovers of art and culture. As patrons, their courts became synonymous with cultural brilliance, especially when it came to the distinctive art form of miniature painting. In the 16th century, Emperor Akbar assembled a royal workshop, attracting the best artists who flocked from far and wide to join it. 
Raza arrived all the way from Iran. He raised his son, Abu Hassan, as an apprentice in his workshop. Mughal artist guilds were buzzing creative communities. A painting could be the work of a single artist or composed by a whole group of artists working side by side to create jewel-like paintings, often only a few centimeters in size. Several specialists would collaborate on a single picture, each contributing to different stages in the process. The process included making paper, preparing the pigments, preparing the brushes, painting outlines, drawing the portraits, designing the background, coloring, then adding minute further details, gilding and calligraphy. The level of minuscule detail was a huge strain on the painter's eyes. There is, in fact, a portrait of a young Abu by another artist, Dolat, in which he crouches over a work in progress, his face nearly touching the paper as he peers at his work. The portraits of senior artists sometimes depict them wearing glasses, a consequence perhaps of their detailed concentration on miniatures. Raza would have taught his son to paint small two-dimensional pictures using fine brushes to create extreme detail. The best brushes were made from soft hair plucked from the neck of baby squirrels and kittens. And some, necessary for the finest and minutest of details, were just a single hair pick. Mughal paintings were renowned for their vivid colors. The artists went to great lengths to source the strongest colors made of powdered pigment and water. The mix was then bound with gum arabic. Bright yellow came from the urine of cows fed on mango leaves. Purple hues came from beetles. Bright blue came from lapis lazuli and a darker hue from indigo. Red from cinnabar, green from copper treated with vinegar, white from ground shells or lead, and last but not least, lamp black. Akbar wanted his workshops to be sophisticated, creative spaces, tolerant and open to experimentation, drawing on the many cultures which had flocked to his court. He actively encouraged his artists to paint both Muslim and Hindu themes, employing artists from both religious communities. He commissioned vast numbers of illustrated manuscripts of religious texts, as well as famous works of history and literature. When Abu Hassan made this drawing at age 13, in the year 1600, a whole new set of inspirations had just been added to the cultural boiling pot of the Royal Mughal workshop. New faces had arrived and settled in court, bringing with them fascinating images and objects from the farthest west of Europe. The Portuguese had already arrived in India 100 years earlier in 1498. By 1510, they had captured the port city of Goa in western India. As a result of their arrival, new shipping technologies and trade routes, other Europeans were soon to follow and eventually arrive in the Mughal court on diplomatic missions. 
These men hope to negotiate trade deals around spices and textiles. The first Jesuit mission arrived at the Mughal court around 1580. Emperor Akbar's interest in all religious traditions resulted in court discussions and debates with theologians of various faiths. He housed the Catholic priests inside the palace walls and even gave them space for a chapel. These Jesuits were able to share the details of their faith with the emperor, as well as present him with gifts of Christian images. Their main gifts included prints, which were mainly 16th century Netherlandish and German works, among them the works of Dürer. As more European missions followed, they brought with them more paintings, prints, illustrated manuscripts, and Bibles. The figures of Jesus and Mary were already familiar to Islamic culture. They play an important role in the Quran, where several verses mention them as models for Muslims. In Akbar's tolerant, multicultural court, Christian images would have offered a way of expressing spirituality, and communicated an association with divine leadership. He encouraged his artists to incorporate them into their work, and so Christian and European influences joined the melting pot of Hindu and Muslim, Indian and Persian themes in Mughal art. This was presumably how the teenage Abu Hassan found himself staring at a print of the crucifixion which had traveled from 4,000 miles away. The print and image must have looked and felt foreign. European art of the time had a very different visual vocabulary to the Indo-Islamic imagery he had grown up around. Artists like Dürer were fascinated with the problem of how to trick the viewer's eye into believing that they were looking at a three-dimensional space on a flat surface. They were experimenting with the rules of mathematical perspective and representing bodies with modeled muscles which looked like they had volume and mass. As European art appeared at the Mughal court, the workshops drew on their techniques and imagery, which were not part of Indo-Islamic traditions. Abu Hassan was looking at a piece of paper which represented the world in a way which was totally novel to him. And it clearly fascinated him because he picked up a brush and tried to teach himself how to recreate it. What makes this particularly extraordinary is that he was holding the tools designed to do a completely different job. Dürer probably prepared the original design in pen and ink and turned it into a printing block by gouging the design into a piece of wood, creating bold, clear lines ready for printing. Abu Hassan, however, was using fine brushes designed to create delicate lines and flat planes of color. He wasn't drawing or printing like Dürer. Abu Hassan was painting. All he was armed with was curiosity, a brush, a steady hand, and very keen eyes. With these, he managed to capture not only the illusion of physical volume, but also the emotional depth of the grieving St. John. 
This drawing is the earliest example of Abu Hassan's genius. As an adult, he became one of the leading artists in the court of Emperor Jahangir, who gave him the official title of Nadir Uzzaman, or Wonder of the Age. He and the artists around him were doing far more than just emulating European artists. What they were up to was an act of profound innovation, creating a visual language which combined the many cultural threads and engagements of the Mughal court. This little drawing of St. John captures a unique moment in the history of Indian art when artists chose sources of inspiration as a stimulus for their own individual originality. It is a snapshot of an extraordinary moment of cultures embracing each other, learning from each other, and the result is simply beautiful. It is a good lesson to learn from a teenager from 421 years ago. Thank you for listening to this the last story in this series of Museum Secrets. If you want to take a look at this amazing little drawing, just follow the link in the podcast notes. We hope you've enjoyed this series and keep your ears peeled because we've got more podcasts coming your way very soon. In the meantime, you can always pop into the museum to track down these secrets in person. <laughs>